If you're new here, uh, my name is Randy, and I serve as the lead minister of the church. And um, so each year, the elders um, give me some time away uh, for vacation and study break. So after our vacation time, I came back for study break. And so I was actually in the office during the week uh, preparing for this next series. And then on the weekends, a uh, couple weekends, uh, I was actually here at church on Sunday, but I was with our children. And so I spent uh, last Sunday, for example, with our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And uh, I'll tell you about that in just a little bit. Uh, but then on another Sunday, I got to hang out with our five-year-olds. And that was just a blast. Uh, so I'm there at the round table coloring that and working on it. And then one of our five-year-olds comes and sits down at the round table with me. And I'm coloring and she's coloring. And she pauses and looks up at me and says, aren't you the pastor? <laughs> True story. And uh, I said, well, yes, yes, I am. And I'm coloring and and then she colors and she pauses and looks up at me and says, why are you here? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm here to color with you. That's why I'm here. Oh, okay. She a little bit. And then she pauses and looks up again and says, but you're the pastor. <laughs> that is right. I am. Color, color, color. Then she pauses. She looks up at me and she says, well, why don't you go do that? <laughs> I said, well, I think I am, you know? And he said, oh, okay, you know? So it answered all her questions. The witness may step down, right? And so, but... Um, but then afterwards, so then I, I, had, I left that classroom because I wanted to see some other classrooms. And so, um, but after, after church was over, then she and her parents got that uh, piece of paper and came to where I was. And, and uh, mom and dad said, she wanted to make sure you got this so that you can take it home, put it on your refrigerator. <laughs> so I have, but anyway, so... Um, well, I've been thinking about that question. She's going to run a company one of these days, I think, with those questions. And I've been thinking about that question. Why are you here? Why are we here? That's an important question. There was a, what do your cards say? A thousand and two of us were here last Sunday. Why are we here? You could have downloaded the message on the podcast. You could put some music on and listen to some worship music and then listen to a message and then go to the store and get some grape juice and bread and then, you know. Or you can just go out into the woods and enjoy nature and you know, think spiritual thoughts by yourself. And yet we're here. Right? Is there something about gathering here in community 
worshiping our God that accomplishes something that cannot be accomplished alone? Is there something that nourishes the soul when we gather in one place and look at each other face to face and sit by one another and sing and pray? Is there something about togetherness that fulfills what just cannot be fulfilled otherwise? Why are we here? Ah. My five-year-old friend, that's a great question. We should ask that question. And that really is what's behind this series, The Fellowship of the King. I want us to explore that question. I want us to look at uh, different passages of Scripture that will really help inform us, that will really help deepen our relationships at this church with one another, not in the sense... Uh, of being, you know, exclusive or we're trying to elbow anybody else out, but in a way that, that you know, nourishes us more and more and more in Christ. That's what I want us to do here in the next few weeks. So, this morning, let's look at our Bibles to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there to the Old Testament book of Psalms, 133. You'll find that on page 519 of your church Bibles in the pouch in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please avail yourselves to uh, uh, the church Bible. Put your name in it, and you can receive it as a gift from our church family. And this psalm celebrates the God who makes our fellowship possible. This psalm worships the God who is the source of healthy spiritually robust unity and community. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read the psalm, and we're going to do that together. I've got it up on the screen. We're going to read it together out loud as a church family. And then I want to talk about why this psalm matters. Why do we need this psalm? This psalm is the answer to a national epidemic that's going on in our country. I'm going to talk about that. And then I want to talk about what this psalm means. And we'll just go through each of the three verses here. So that's our simple outline this morning. Read the psalm, discuss why it matters, and then tell what it means. All right? Let's look at Psalm 133. Let's read it aloud starting at the top. Here we go. Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. Amen. Why Psalm 133 matters, why we need this psalm, because it offers a cure to what has become a national epidemic. All of the major papers in our country have thus far discussed this 
national epidemic. Uh, both the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post call it, using it, those words, epidemic. The USA Today says it happens to the young more than the elderly. The Boston Globe says that for middle-aged men, it's more of a life threat than smoking or obesity. And the New York Times flat out says it's killing us. All the papers talk about this. Uh, and when the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times agree on something, that has my attention. What is it? Loneliness. Loneliness. All of the major papers have written major stories about the national epidemic of loneliness in our country. Americans, according to these articles and research, are lonelier than ever. I mean, we, we have Skype. We have FaceTime, we have WhatsApp, we have free email, we have texting, yet we're connecting less, socializing less, spending less time with neighbors and families. As Americans, we've gone from bowling leagues to bowling alone, and now we're not really even doing that. Now we're scrolling alone, scrolling alone. Americans are lonely. And I'm not talking about these articles, the information is not talking about being alone, but loneliness. See, see you, can, you can be alone without experiencing the pain of loneliness. And you can be in a crowded room like this and yet feel like you're the loneliest person here. Former Surgeon General uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy says that loneliness is an insidious type of stress. It leads to an increased risk of heart disease, arthritis, diabetes. Loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And the, the part of the brain that's activated when we experience rejection or loneliness is the same part that registers the pain of stepping on a Lego. Translation, loneliness hurts. Loneliness hurts. And the pain compounds into physical sickness, which cannot be cured by medication or an online persona. You know what cures it? Friendship. Friendship. I mean, is it any wonder... Mother Teresa said that life without other people is the worst disease any human being can ever experience. Loneliness. Now, I, you know, I don't know if this is going on much in your world, but I'm telling you, according to what I've been reading, it's going on in our world, it's going on in our country. The loneliness epidemic. And know that this epidemic did not emerge overnight. Uh, I mean, it's been noticed and commented on for, for really decades now. Uh, I'm thinking of 1959, when Americans were just getting acclimated with this brand new technology television and the series on tv which was launched in 1959 the twilight zone 
with Rod Serling. Does anybody remember the Twilight Zone? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know loneliness is a repeated theme in that series? In fact, the very first program, the very first episode of the very first season was called, Where is Everybody? And it touches on loneliness and social isolation and being relationally starved. But I don't want to talk about that episode. I want to talk about season one, episode seven, an episode called The Lonely, The Lonely. And it's about a convicted criminal who is put in solitary confinement on an asteroid nine million miles away from Earth. Remember, this is the twilight zone. And a rocket ship comes to deliver books and food and supplies every three months. And Mr. Corey, who is this convicted criminal, tells the captain of the rocket ship, you gotta bring me something to do. I'm just, I'm going insane with all of this isolation. So the captain brings him a car to put together, and he does that, and he's still not satisfied, and so finally the captain, he has a heart for Mr. Corey. He brings supplies on another trip, and then he brings this crate. He says, Corey, open the crate only after we leave, and then just let the air get to it, and there's no directions. So they leave. He opens the crate, and then there's a commercial. <laughs> and then after the commercial, the first scene is this robot. This, this robot that, that looks strangely uh, familiar to the, 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 the lovely English actress Jean Marsh. And Corey is incensed at first. Well, how dare they send a robot for me to have uh, associations. What is that about? And well, she's programmed to cry. His rejection becomes empathy, which becomes attraction, which becomes romance. And then the rocket comes back, and the captain says to Mr. Corey, You've been pardoned. Come on, get back on the rocket. And we have to go quickly because there's an asteroid storm coming and you can only take up to 20 pounds with you. To which Mr. Corey says, well, but what about Alicia? And the captain says, Alicia? Who's Alicia? You mean the robot? I love her. I had to bring her with me. Are you out of your mind? Get in the rocket. There's a storm coming. No, no, no. And so he runs away and he goes to get her and the captain follows and, and I'm, not, I'm not going without her. And the captain says, her? And he takes out his ray gun and he points it to her face and he zaps her. And her face goes boing. And the wires all come out. And the camera pans in, and the captain says to Corey, pull 
pull yourself together, man. Get in the rocket. We're leaving. Camera pans in to wire sticking out. And then you hear the voice, right? Remember the voice? Hmm? On a microscopic piece of sand that floats through space is a fragment of a man's life. <laughs> Left to rust is the place he lived in and the machines he used. All of Mr. Corey's machines, including the one made in his image, kept alive by love, now lay obsolete in the twilight zone. That's <laughs> what I did on my study break. This is why you pay me. Yeah. But no, listen, did you get that though? Kept alive by love. What? Kept alive by love. Question. Question. If a machine causes you to feel love, is it real? Rod Serling saw this coming back in 1959. And you may be saying, oh, pastor, you have been watching too much TV. Maybe. But let's fast forward to 2011 and consider Dr. Sherry Turkle, who is a social psychologist from MIT, and a book she wrote called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. This is what she writes. These days... Insecure in our relationships and anxious about intimacy, we look to technology to be in relationship, yet protect ourselves from them at the same time. Dr. Turkle introduces the reader to the world of therapeutic robots, machine-mediated relationships on network devices, the $5,000 PARO, a therapeutic robot for patients with dementia. Now, while appreciating the positive outcomes, the, the clearly positive outcomes that these therapeutic robots have on such patients, Dr. Turkle raises a concern about the ethics of providing the illusion of a relationship. And she's not so much concerned about the patients themselves, but otherwise healthy humans who have even expressed their preference of robotic technology over face-to-face in-person connections. This is what she says. We are drawn to the comfort of connections without the demands of intimacy. And she tells of a 20-something-year-old uh, woman named Anne who said, I would happily trade my boyfriend in for a robot that could give and provide caring behavior. If a robot could provide that, I would be glad to help produce the illusion that there is somebody really with me. Wow. 
Terkel notes that you know, this young lady is looking for a no-risk relationship that would stave off loneliness. But what a fascinating and frightening comment. And really, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to judge. And I don't bring that illustration up to judge her because you know, I mean, people are work. Relationships are hard. Patience and listening and forbearance and forgiveness and grace. But robots, machines, they have what my wife has never been able to find on this person. An off button. <laughs> huh? Anne says, they may not be capable of love, but they won't break your heart. This is our world, church. This is our world. I'm thinking of 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The tribe of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel. The tribe of Issachar supplied 200 leaders along with all of their relatives under their command. And then it says this. Here it is. They kept up to date in their understanding of the times and knew what Israel should do. These are our times. Now, what should we do? Why are we here? Enter Psalm 133, where it says, Behold, look, look, this is within reach. The, well, what, what we're experiencing here is not virtual, it's real. It's good. It's pleasant. It's fragrant. There's nothing like the blessing of belonging. Nothing like it. Psalm 133 is um, a playlist of a group of songs called the Psalms of Ascent. And these songs were sung by God's people as they made their pilgrimage three times a year to Jerusalem, to the temple. And the word ascent refers to the journey upward because Jerusalem was a city set on a hill. And so from whatever direction you approach Jerusalem, you had to go up. You had to ascend to the city, to the temple. And so God's people would travel from all over the country. And, and they would, they, so they had a common destination. And they took common paths and sang this common song to worship their common God with a common heart at a common pace. We're not alone. Others accompany us on the journey. And if you break down, others will assist. And if others break down, you're there. And Psalm 133 offers a real-world picture of God-centered, other-oriented togetherness. We know who God is. We know who we are. We know where we're going. We know how to get there. We know what we're going to do once we get there. And as a, ref as a fruit of shared worship, shared faith, shared identity, shared vocation, shared mission, a shared pace, as a fruit of all that is shared, we enjoy community, belonging. Paradoxically, we find 
community by not looking for it. We find it by looking to him. See, the blessed fellowship of the king comes by pursuing the king. And the blessing of belonging from the Lord himself falls upon those who passionately pursue him together. It's as if the psalmist says, aim for God and we get community and fellowship. Aim for community and fellowship first and we get disoriented and discontent and isolated. And you know why, don't you? You know why. Because when you aim for community and fellowship first, what will invariably occur is that you end up bringing with you your expectations and preferences about what you think community ought to be. And my mind goes to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor in Nazi Germany who ultimately was put to death by the Nazis. And he wrote an excellent book on community, which I would commend to you. It's called Life Together. It's a short read, but it's an excellent read. And this is what he says on this matter. He says, he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. See, when, when, when I'm focusing on community first, then inevitably I'm thinking of my version of community. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that's dangerous. It's dangerous in, in the life of a local church. It's just dangerous in relationships. It's dangerous in marriage. <laughs> you know, I have a dream about the person I think my wife ought to be. And she has yet to conform to the image I have for her. I love her and I have a wonderful plan for her life. <laughs> hmm. And by his grace, God will not let us live for one moment in a dream world. Because God's the God of truth. And, and only that fellowship, only that relationship, only that marriage, which faces such disillusionment with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects, only then, when that dies, can, can there be God's vision brought to life. And it will be better for all. And the sooner this disillusionment happens, the better. So the question is this. Are you willing to lay aside your... Here it is, I love you. Are you willing to lay aside your dream church consumer fantasies and accept the heart-to-stomach truths and awkward requirements of locking arms with weird people in common pursuit of Jesus? Are you willing to relinquish your freedom to do and be what you want? Are you willing to pray with our Lord, not my will but thine be done? Are you willing to say with John the Baptist, he must become greater and I must become lesser? 
And I'm telling you, if all of us were to commit to pray, not my will, but thine be done, and, and he must become greater and I must become lesser. He must become greater. I, you know what the fruit of that would be? Community, fellowship. We, we've tasted that before here. This is, this is not new. We've tasted this before, and we know how beautiful and wonderful it is. And so I'm just reminding us of something we already know, this, this vision of this common pursuit of Christ who, listen, then gives us a common vocation. Verse 2. It's like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Need to explain that, don't we? We're not, you know, talking about getting oil all over my clothes that gives stains. Well, I don't want that. This is not bacon grease. Okay? This is not that. This is precious oil. This is scented oil, perfumed oil. In the ancient world, a host would anoint guests weary from traveling with refreshing, scented, perfumed oil. And, and furthermore, in the scriptures, often oil represents the Spirit of God. And look at how much oil. It's not a dab of oil, is it? There's so much oil, so much refreshment, so much scent, so much fragrance. It's, uh, it's dripping down Aaron. Who's Aaron? Aaron's the brother of Moses, the first priest of Israel, the first high priest of Israel. Dripping down Aaron's drenched beard. Can you see the drip on the very bottom of his beard? And then it drops onto the collar of his priestly robe. And if you know anything about his robe... His robe was outfitted with a, with a kind of a breastplate that contained 12 stones, each stone representing the tribe of Israel. And that takes us into a deeper meaning. This oil anoints a priest, the first priest of Israel, the brother of Moses. Aaron represents all of Israel. See, Israel was called to a holy priesthood. Exodus 19, verse 6. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So let's put all these images together. Psalm 133 says that it's a glorious good when the oil of the Holy Spirit running down the head, along the face, into the beard, and onto the collar, staining it, scenting the people of God. You see verse 2? It's a statement of our shared identity and vocation. When I look into the eyes of a brother or sister in Christ, it means you're more than a brother or sister. You're a priest. And a priest is a bridge, a go-between, someone who represents and mediates the very presence of God. And that changes our relationship, church. That changes why we're here. Sometimes in the fireside room, newcomers come to me and, and say, we're glad to have been here. We're new in town. We're church shopping. And, you know, it, it's just a mild heartburn that I feel when I hear that. Okay. Uh, and I know the heart. I get it. I, I, yeah, I get it. I really do. Um, at the same time, you know, the, you know, uh, the words we speak reflect what's in the heart, right? And, and so if you could allow me to be picky here, you know, this church family is not a, 
religious retail institution in a marketplace of other religious retail stores to which you come as a consumer or customer or client in order to purchase or otherwise secure spiritual services or content. Okay? Right? Amen. We're a priesthood. We're a priesthood. And, and, and at the same time, you know, we, we, we want to we serve and we want to learn. But as, as a priesthood, channeling and sharing the grace of God with one another and the world. Meaning, you're not damaged goods to be discarded. You're not a problem to be solved. You're not an issue to be fixed. You're a priest in Christ. You're a priest. You're a brother. You're a sister. What a privilege that is. And here's the deal. There are times, even in Christ, even in ministry, <laughs> especially in ministry, when, when I, I feel lonely. Being in Christ doesn't exempt you from loneliness. Being in Christ opens all of the resources available in loneliness. So when the Christ in my heart feels fearful and full of doubt, and the Christ in your heart is confident and full of faith, that's when I want to be around you. I, I need the Christ in your heart to speak truth and strength and grace into my heart. See? So last week, I'm with the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And... I preached at them for 35 minutes. And we covered the entire book of Psalms. No kidding. In 35 minutes. I'm just giving you three verses. You're welcome. <laughs> and we talked about how the Psalms are organized. And we talked about the different types of Psalms. And there are celebration Psalms. And there are Psalms of lament lament and they knew they knew what a lament is you know uh, a, a, a protest God this is not right a plea God help and uh, a call to repentance God I've been a part of the problem as to why this is not right forgive me all of that's wrapped into this word lament and after my sermon to them I paused and I said so do you have any questions? The fourth grader raised her hand and she said, yes, on this thing of lament. Why is it that when tragedy strikes, God allows some people to live and other people to die? I said, are there any other questions? That... <laughs> no, no, I did not say that. You, you know me better than that. No. Wow. 
Is there a better place to ask that question? Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying, okay? Help, Lord, give me wisdom, okay? There's a teachable moment here. And so I'm trying to respond. I'm going to respond to the content of the question, but I want to respond to the heart behind the content. And the heart behind the content is, I am so glad that you asked that question. This is the best place to ask that question. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for asking. That's a hard question. I, you know, it, and it's okay to say I don't know. It's okay to say, well, you know, some, sometimes I just don't know. I, I, I don't always know the answer to that question. And then I said this, but I do know this. Every one of us, we tend to live our lives like Easter weekend. Meaning, all of us, some of us here, and it's like Friday, when Jesus was hung on a cross and his torture. Some of us feel that. Then for some of us, it's Saturday. Silence. We're crying out to heaven and God is silent. And some of us are experiencing that. And then others of us, it's Sunday, right? Jesus is out of the tomb and there's celebration and there's joy. And each of us is in one of those days when we gather here in that room and in this room too. But we're all headed towards Sunday. And one day it will all be Sunday. Keep coming back. Keep coming. People who stay grow. People who stay grow. What an opportunity to be a priest. And, and you know what? If you're looking for a place to practice the priesthood God has given you, please go see Justin Craig. I mean, we've got, we've got wonderful students and all over the building here. And, and they, need, they need to see the presence of Jesus through your face. But I want to give you something even more practical that you can put into play as you leave these doors here today. How can we pastor one another as priests? Here it is. How can we get beyond the small talk? All right? Let me give you two questions to ask one another out in the lobby, at, at home, uh, in your small groups. Here it is. These two questions uh, uh, will we'll, we'll get you into deeper conversations. Here they are. Question number one. Tell me the best thing that happened to you this week. What's the best thing? What's the high point of your week? Tell me the best thing that happened to you this week. And then listen. And then listen. Question number two. Tell me the worst thing that happened to you this week. And then listen. Listen. You know, what are the good things? What are the hard things? What are the heavy things? What are the light things? See? And everyone needs to ask and answer that. Not just those who are, it's not just go, to a, go find a lonely person and ask him this question. No. No, the lonely person needs. Uh, social scientists call this Reciprocity in communication. The Bible calls it one anothering. Serve one another, love one another, encourage one another. Listen, you may be an only child in your family, but no one is an only child in the family of God. 
and when we nourish one another in this way, it is as dew, verse 3, from Mount Hermon. The dew of Hermon. That's Mount Hermon. That's a mountain range in northern Israel. And it's the highest range in Israel. And in the mornings, the ground would be drenched in dew, and the alpine moisture refreshed the ground. And so remember, this is poetry. And so the imagery is that of moisture from Hermon drenching and flowing and nourishing all the way even down so strong that it nourishes even Mount Zion. So the north and the south are united. Unity, community. For there, the Lord has commanded his blessing. Life forevermore. This is why we're here. The fellowship of the king is at one and the same time a kingdom of priests. We know who Christ is. We know who we are. We know our mission, our destination, shared direction, shared vocation, shared pace, drenched with the Holy Spirit. We enjoy and share the blessing and smile and favor and grace of God. And the fruit of that is community. Good and pleasant community. I'll say it one more time. Aim for Christ and community will follow. Because you see, Christ is of the highest priesthood ever. We're from the priesthood of Aaron. And if you know anything about Aaron in the Old Testament, you know he blew it badly. Christ is not in that priesthood. He's in the priesthood of Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, Melchizedek appears mysteriously to Abraham. Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. He appears and then departs. And he is a foretaste of the coming of the true royal high priest, King Jesus. For there, for there, verse 3, Jerusalem, ground zero of God's blessing, the cross and the tomb. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and the sending of his Holy Spirit to drench us, he put away sin by offering himself, and he will one day appear to rescue us who await him. Membership in a local church means joining your imperfect self to many other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community that through Jesus, our perfect king, fills us and uses us to remake the heavens and the earth, playing a part of God's grand story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So I guess the only thing that's left is for me to remind us of that second brilliant question from our future CEO, five-year-old girl. Why don't you go do that? Amen.